So for me, the most powerful line in that hymn there is the part that says, to the king in need of nothing. Right? Like we come and we need him. We offer him our praise. We offer him our worship. And to the king in need of nothing, empty-handed. What, what do I have to bring him? It, it reminds me actually of an old hymn one of my favorite lines from the hymn, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me, Let Me Hide Myself in Thee, and you know that, but um, there's a line in that hymn that says, In my hand, no price I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And that really goes with the theme of the study that we've been in the book of Romans. And this morning, of course, we're going to be in chapter 4. We've made it three chapters through, and now we come to chapter four, but I, w I don't want to catch you up to all of the messages if you missed some, but I do want to just bring you back to last week. And if you remember last week, the truth that the Holy Spirit has given the Apostle Paul to just get through to us is that theme of justification by faith alone. Justification by faith alone. In other words, our standing before God is based not on, just like we sang in the, that song and the one that I just quoted, we are not made right before God because of anything we bring to Him. We are made right before God by believing in what He has brought to us. That He is the giver. He is the gracious one. He has more mercy. He has more grace. And we are justified, we are made right by faith in Christ alone. Now, there have been three chapters, three chapters in the book of Romans dedicated so far to making this point to us. I mean, in chapters one and two, I told you I wasn't going to catch you all up, but I'm doing it anyway. In chapters one and two, we're shown the great predicament that we're in. You know, we're, our theme is good news for a broken world, chapter one, chapter two, and then half of chapter three, the Holy Spirit, the scriptures teach us that this, why this world is broken and our responsibility for the brokenness of the world. But then the light of the gospel is the answer for all of that. And, and he culminates it all beautifully in what we saw last week that we conclude, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. But now we come to chapter 4, and he's actually going to continue. It's not just, so three chapters isn't enough to, to convince us that our standing before God is only by faith. Chapter 4, pick it up with me in verse number 1. Romans chapter 4 and verse number 1. What shall we say then? That Abraham, our father, as, pertaineth to, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found. Well, now we're introduced to Abraham. What does he have anything to do with this? Well, verse number two. For if Abraham were justified by what? Works. Okay. So now Paul obviously hasn't left this theme yet. We're still talking about works versus faith, grace versus law. And he says, you know what? I've got another argument for you. I've got another point for you. Let's go back and let's consider, what's his name? Let's consider, let's consider Abraham. Now, verse number two said, if he were justified by works, 
he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. Do you remember last week we said that if, if we are truly justified by faith, there ought to be a big sign on our lives and in our church that says, no bragging here. No bragging here. And he says it again. Well, if Abraham was justified by his works, he hath whereof to glory. He could say, hey, look at my works, look at what I've done, but what would that matter to God? It wouldn't matter at all. I mean, if Abraham were to, if I were to compare my life to Abraham, you know, there'd be some ways he outshined me. But honestly, there might be some ways I outshine him in my life, right? Not, you know, not going anywhere, but you too. You know, Abraham made some big mistakes too. The point is this, before God, before God, there's, there's nothing Abraham could have done. But now, this wonderful statement in verse number three. What does the Bible say? What sayeth the Scriptures? So now, Paul is about to quote from the book of Genesis. Fascinating, right? Paul, in A.D. 60 or whatever, is quoting a passage that was written thousands and thousands of years before in the book of Genesis. What saith the Scripture? Would you read with me now the end of this verse? Ready? Abraham believed God. Say that again. Ready? Abraham believed God. Ready to continue? And it was counted unto him for righteousness. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that we have this time this morning. I need your help to, to preach the word. And the church, we need your help to hear the word, to apply it to our lives. So we ask that you would be present among us, or we know that you are present among us. Help us to recognize and yield to your presence. Listen to your voice. Do a work in every heart in a way that only you can. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We go way back, all the way back to Abraham. And actually what Paul is doing is he's saying this, I've been explaining the good news to you. Now, I made the point three chapters, now four chapters, there's actually going to be more chapters about justification by faith. Why, why does he spend all of this time? Well, you might, if, we, if this was a discussion group, you could probably give me some answers on, on, well, why do you think Paul spends all this time focusing on this? Well, I'll just give you one reason today, and I think it's because it is our default human nature to go back to relying on ourselves. In fact, entire religious systems, some of them claiming the name of Jesus, are based not entirely on what God has done, but many of those systems are based on what we do, how well we perform. And so that's why I have just scratched my head sometimes. I remember when I was younger and really studying the Bible for myself for the first time, and I read the book of Romans. And then I found myself in the book of Galatians. And I read these amazing, powerful arguments about faith and the work of Christ, and I thought, how could anyone, how could anyone read this and come away thinking that there's something that I could do or they could do to earn their place with God? I mean, there are some confusing things in the Bible. Would you agree with me? There's some confusing things, and some of them we'll get to in the book of Romans. There's tricky things coming. But one of the things that God has made abundantly clear and abundantly plain, that it's not about what we do for our salvation, it's about Him. And so, four chapters now in Romans dedicated to it. I think another reason is so that 
Nobody could just look. If he said it once, it would be enough. But he wants it to be crystal clear, plain as day. And here we learn what the, the, the key of Paul's argument, and we're only looking at the first three verses today, and now I'm going to take you to Genesis, but the, the key of Paul's argument, the crux of his argument is this. He's going to go back to Abraham. Why? Because we're going to learn, we're going to learn that this good news did not begin with the birth of Christ. It's the, it's the whole story of the Bible. And we, we could go further back than Abraham, but that's a different message. That's not what Romans is doing. In Romans chapter 4, we're going all the way back to Abraham to see that the good news, the good news of Jesus was promised, was promised long before the birth of Christ. So that means we have to look at Abraham. Now, when this was written, Paul is gearing this, I believe, to a Jewish audience. So Abraham was like their George Washington, okay? A bigger deal than that, to be honest with you. I mean, a bigger deal. There, if you were a Jewish person reading this, all you have to do is hear the word Abraham and, and you're filled with pride. Not always a bad pride either, but like, yeah, Abraham. Your identity is tied up in Abraham. He's the father of your faith. But not only is he the father of your faith, but he's, a, he's the father of your, 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 your race. If you, I don't, don't like to use that word, but you understand what I mean. He's like your ethnic heritage, your identity as a people group. It goes back to this man, Abraham. And so they knew far more about Abraham than most people in the United States do today. Now, probably many of you, you could walk me through the life of Abraham, but I want to bring you to some highlights this morning. Because if Abraham is the example, and Paul's going to reference him throughout chapter 4, if Abraham is the example, we ought to know some things about him. Abraham is the father of not just the Jewish faith, but as Christians, we look, the Bible teaches us, we look back to Abraham as the father of our faith. How many of you grew up or were exposed to that song as a kid? Father Abraham had many sons. All right. How many of you would say, I have no clue? Anybody in here, you're like, I have no clue what you're talking about. Anybody? Who has no idea? Come on, you can be honest. Who's like, Father Abraham had many sons. Somebody would be like, I don't know what you're talking about. No, you're just not raising your hands, okay? The song is a beautiful Christian masterpiece. I mean, lyrical genius and just inspiring faith in the heart of children for generations. It goes something like this. If you know it, sing with me. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons are had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord right arm. You know the song, right? Some of you are cringing as you go. And you go, right arm. And then guess what? There's a second verse. And do you know how it goes? I'll spare you. It's the same as the first verse. There's, like, there's actually like eight stanzas to this hymn. We march around the auditorium, we spin around, we sit down, you know, just, just amazing. But you know what? There is one nugget of truth in that song. Father Abraham had many sons. And if you're a believer, you're one of them, so am I. And that's something to praise the Lord about, wouldn't you agree? Adam tells me sometimes, Ethan, not every song has to be deep. <laughs> you agree with that? We, so we hit it there. It's true. Father Abraham. Abraham believed God. 
This is the key verse of this, of this text. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Well, how did this happen? If you follow along, you turn in your notes now on the inside. The first thing that happened is back in Genesis chapter 12. We provided most of the scriptures for you today, but if you'd like to turn through the pages of your Bible, we're going to move in highlights. This is a highlight reel on the life of Abraham. Abraham has been called to record in the book of Romans. Let's, let's journey back, a little flashback scene to the life of Abraham. We go back to a nomadic people. We go back to a family. Abraham has a father and a brother, and they're, they're a bit of a nomadic clan. And they began in a place called Ur of the Chaldees, which is a region, in fact, you can give us the little map up there. The Ur of the Chaldees was a place in the Mesopotamian region down there at the, uh, at the mouth of the Euphrates. This is what we would think of and as would become the Babylonian Empire, like present-day Iraq. And there were nomadic tribes that lived in those days. Now, they worshipped all kinds of different gods. Many different gods. They, they were polytheistic people, ritualistic. I mean, this is just a few generations from the Tower of Babel experience that you might be familiar with. And so you have a family, more like a clan with servants and an entourage, and uh, they would keep flocks and they would travel. Well, at some point, at some point, Abram, his name was Abram at the time, he would later become known as Abraham, it had become a bit of a joke. He'd become a bit of a joke because his name was Abram. Now, why would, uh, why would that be a bit of a joke? Because what his name, what his name actually means is father of many. His name is father of many. But how many children does he have? He's got none. He's got none. And he's 75 years old. And so back then, your name meant something. Like, we all know, like, how many have done that thing, what does your name mean? How many of you know what your name means? Okay? Who thinks they've got the best one in here? Somebody? Anybody? Oh, you, of course you do. So, D Danielle, go ahead. What's your name mean? God is my judge. Okay. God is my judge. Now, we, in, in our, in our uh, world today, we would say, okay, what does my name mean? And you've got to kind of look it up. But back then, you just said the words. And so... Danielle would come in today, and I would say, hey, God is my judge, how are you today? It's got that literal effect to it. Now, sometimes there'd be endings changed or shortened or whatever, but the name had that significance. So everybody would say, oh, here he comes, the father of many. Here he comes. And I can just imagine it kind of was a bit of a chuckle as Abram would come, because his wife Sarah, she's 65, he's 75, and they have no babies. And there ain't any coming either. So, that's where we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 12. And something miraculous happens in verse number 1 of Genesis chapter 12. The Bible says this, Now, the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. The first thing we see is that there is a call to believe God. 
There's a call to believe God. Now, up until this point, what does Abraham know about God? We don't know. We really don't know. We know he's part of a pagan culture. Now, it could be that his family have maintained faith in the one true God, but we're just not really sure. But we do know this, in the regions where he lives, he is surrounded by people who worship all kinds of false gods. He's in a pagan pagan place. And if you follow his life, you don't find him exposed to lots of like-minded believers in Jehovah at all. And all of a sudden, there's an unexpected voice that calls out to Abram. And I think that the thing that should astound us the most is in verse number one, now the Lord had said unto Abram that there was a day when Abram heard the voice of God. Now, it was supernatural, it was miraculous, but it's not entirely unlike the gospel call that goes out to each and every one of us. It's not entirely unlike that at all. That there is a moment in every person's life where we are surprised. We are surprised by what? We are surprised by the voice of the living God who would speak into our lives. Just like the disciples were fishing and Jesus called them by name. That there is a day when God calls out to each and every person. A call to come and a call to believe. And this is a gospel call that was made to Abram. There's a call that's made Abram. It's an unexpected call, but notice this also. It's a call to leave. It's a call to change. It's a call that your life is never going to be the same, Abraham or Abram. Your life is never going to be the same. There's a call to leave. He says, get thee out of thy country. Get away from your kindred. You're going to leave not only your country, your family, but your immediate family, your father's house. So if you, you, you would hear your geographic location, your clan, and then your immediate family. You're going to leave all of those three things. Now this is a moment of decision for, for Abram, is it not? It's a call. Again, not entirely unlike the gospel call that each of us hears at some point. Like Jesus says, I call you to myself. I call you to leave this world, and I call you to come and follow me. And ultimately, it's a call to faith. Because as many of you know, the most amazing thing is at the end of the verse, or the most challenging thing, I should say. He says, you've got to leave your country, your kindred, your father's house. And if I heard God speaking to me, then I'd be like, okay, yeah, this sounds really cool. Where are we going? Where are we going to go? And God says, you are going to go unto the land, the land of, the land of, the land, the land that I will show thee. I'll show you where you're going to go, but you're going to leave now. Again, is this all that unlike the plan that God has for each of our lives as we follow by faith? I don't think so. It's a call to faith. But with the call to faith, number two, it's not just a call to believe God, but secondly, there's a promise that's made to Abram. And this is the wonderful thing about the gospel call. When the call, when the call goes out, when the call goes out, God's promise follows behind it. He gives us, he reveals something about himself. So look what happens in, in the next verse. 
It says in verse number 2, God says, you're going to go to the land that I will show thee. But now verse number 2, I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. What what are we noticing here so far? Well, first of all, this is a staggering promise. I use that word staggering because next week later on in Romans chapter 4, we're going to see this statement that Abraham staggered not at the promise of God. I love that line. But it's, it's a staggering promise. He's going to believe God. If he's going to believe God, he's going to believe for something incredible. This is, be, this is an incredible claim that Abram, I'm going to make of you a great nation. That sounds really good. But the problem is, like we said, he has no children. His wife is barren. And they're both very, very old. This is a staggering promise. They are childless. The question is, Abraham, will you, will you believe God? Will you believe that God is capable of doing what only God can be capable of? Now, just stop for a minute. Why is God doing this in Abraham's life? Just so that we have a really cool story about faith or whatever? No. In his infinite foreknowledge and the wisdom of his plan, God has orchestrated the events of the life of Abraham so that thousands of years later, the Apostle Paul would make the argument justification by faith alone, and we'd be able to say, in fact, remember Abraham. And you'll find, as you become a student of the Word of God, you will find that your entire Old Testament was written to point us to Jesus, to prepare us to Jesus. Abraham doesn't even know it. Abraham doesn't realize when this, is, when this happens in his life, he does not realize the significance of the promise. Until, and may, I'm just going all over the place this morning, but forgive me. Jesus said this in John chapter 8. Jesus said to these Pharisees, he said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Now just mark that reference down and study that out. This is the whole point. Abraham didn't always know how to make sense of what was going on in his life. But there was a day, there's Abraham in, in, uh, in paradise, and he sees that Jesus is born, that Jesus has come. And at that moment, it all made sense to Abraham. And he rejoiced because the Savior came. Sorry, that was a whole other lesson. But study John chapter 8 when you have, when you have some time. So Abraham's life, this promise that's made, is not without eternal significance. So you see, obviously, and those are my points here, it was a, it was a personal, it was a personal promise for sure, but there's also a national promise here. See, see how this works out. He says, I'm going to bless them that bless thee, curse them that, that curseth thee. There's a promise that there's going to be a people, there's going to be a great nation. And then, notice this, there's a promise for the whole world. Where is the promise? Go ahead, you can see it on the screen, the verse. What is the promise to the whole world? It's not just to Abraham. It's not just to his nation. It's to the whole world. What's the statement? All in thee 
shall all families of the earth be blessed. Abraham doesn't know exactly what that means. But what it means is, from your child, there's going to be a group. There's going to be a nation. Through that nation, the whole world will be blessed. This is the point of the Old Testament. God calls a people. That nation would be named what? What is this nation? uh, It's going to be called what? It's going to be called Israel. The purpose of Israel was to bring us a Messiah, to bring us Jesus. And that's why when Jesus comes, he says, for God so loved, not Israel, but for God so loved who? The world. All the families of the earth being blessed. So Abram's life, we see there's a call to believe. There's a promise that's made. But now we're not obviously going to read all of the passages of Abram's life, but I do want to point out that his promise is tested. This promise to Abraham is tested. So you pick up the story in Genesis 12 and verse number 4. God speaks to him. Well, that's the first test. Will you go, Abraham? Will you answer the call? So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. And Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan. And into the land of Canaan they came. After a lot of walking. But let's read on. Verse 6. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sichem, unto the place of Morah, and the Canaanite was then in the land. Notice verse 7. You're going to see a theme here. Verse 7. And the Lord appeared unto Abram. God reinforces his promise. And said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord and called. See that statement? Read this last statement with me. And he what? And called upon the name of the Lord. Abraham seeks God again. God reveals himself to Abram. He calls out to God. He reaches out to God. Now, if you were to read chapter the rest of chapter 12, if you were to read all through chapter 13, all through chapter 14, in fact, you could go all the way through chapter 22, and you could read this, this, this amazing biography of the life of Abram, who becomes Abraham. You could read this whole biography, and you would find this recurring theme over and over again. Abraham's failures and God's faithfulness. That Abraham is tested. He's walking with God. He's walking with God by faith, but he's tested in all kinds of different ways. He's, he, 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 one minute he goes from just believing in God and believing that the promise is going to come. The next thing you know, he's, he's having inappropriate relationships and he's fathering children with another woman. I mean, it's a mess. It's a disaster. He's not, he's not living this perfect cookie-cutter life that we would have imagined. Because it's not about Abraham. It's about the one who made the promise to Abraham. It's about the God who made the promise. And Abraham's faith is tested, but it never falters. Because through it all, each time, if you read chapter 12, Abraham detours into Egypt. He makes some mistakes in Egypt, and then he comes back. 
And it will take 25 years for the promise to be fulfilled. That's a long time. 25 years. From the time Abraham first hears the voice of God promising him to the end when his son Isaac is finally born, it's going to be 25 long years. It's waiting and waiting. But this is the theme. In fact, skip down to chapter 13, verses 3 through 4. We find him going on his journeys from the south even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. Here's this theme again. And there, would you read it with me? And there what? Abram called on the name of the Lord. Through the ups and the downs, he comes back. And calling on the name of the Lord, he's expressing his faith, his dependence. In fact, it happens now again. Look down at verse 14. See what happens next. And the Lord said unto Abram, after that lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and the breadth of it, for I have, nope, I will give it unto thee. A Abram, th as he gets up one morning and he looks out across the horizon, he sees these lands where all these people dwell. God says, Abraham, I'm going to give that to you. That's going to be yours. That's going to be your children's. As you take a walk, as you walk through, but was it his yet? It's not his yet. But there he is walking through it. He's going through this land. It's given to him. It's promised to him. But is it his yet? Again, not entirely unlike yours and my experience walking with God. Jesus said that the meek shall inherit what? The meek shall inherit the earth. He says, suffer the little children to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, I've promised you all of this. And as you and I as believers, we're very much like Abraham. We wander through a land and it doesn't belong to us yet. But God promised that one day his children would be in his kingdom. It's a promise of a, a, a promise still not yet fulfilled. But we walk believing. We walk by faith. God reassures him. And you and I, we don't have God appearing to us in a vision to give us that assurance. But over and over again, we have the word of God that assures us of the promise that God has made to us. Now, let's look at our final point this morning from Abram's life. And this is the most significant. The promise is, has been made. But the promise must be believed. It must be believed. So now we come to the passage that Paul quoted in Romans. Go to Genesis 15 now. We fast forward a little bit further to Genesis 15. 
after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me? Seeing I go, what? God, I'm just struggling to, to understand your promise. I'm struggling to believe that this is possible. I'm struggling to believe that you can really do this. I, I just can't get my, I, I just can't get my mind around how this is going to work. And, and he says, well, what if I do this? And, and now this is key. This is crucial. Abram comes up with his own plan to bring about the promise of God. Don't miss that. Abram proposes an alternative plan to arrive at the same goal. He says, God, I know that you promised a great nation, but I don't have any children. But there's a, there's a steward, the head servant in my house. His name is Eleazar. He's from Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in my house is mine heir. Do you understand Abram's logic here? He says, I know, God, I, I know that you have a plan. I know that you made a promise to me. But now what he's doing is his faith, when his faith begins to weaken, he shifts from total dependence on God to what? Partial dependence on himself. That right there. Has Abram completely given up on belief in God at all? As he walked away and said, There's, I, I didn't hear a voice. I must have, must have been too much pizza. I, I didn't hear anything, really. It's just not true. It's all made up. It's all fake. He didn't deconstruct. But he did what people, the trap that people fall into over and over and over again. This is the trap that religious systems have created. Yes, we believe that God can accomplish. But really, some of this is going to depend on us. Some of this is going to depend on us. And so Abram's scheme is this. Well, I'll tell you what. What if, you know, technically, technically Eliezer's son, this young man here, because I don't have a son, he can be my heir. You can make a, you can make a great nation out of him. Abram is actually going to try this twice in his life. The first time is going to be with this servant's son. The second time is going to be with one of the, the female servant's son that, that Abram will conceive with her, and that is Ishmael. Two times in Abram's life, he's going to be tempted to say, God, I want to fulfill your plan, but I'm going to do it my way. And God's answer is in verse number four. And behold, and behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir. Tell us what you really think, God, about this plan. This shall not be thine heir. But he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Why? What did it matter? Because God is setting a precedent way back in the book of, in the book of Genesis that his saving plan is a miraculous, supernatural plan that has nothing to do with human arrangements. And he brought him forth abroad. Now, God doesn't... Now, here's what's wonderful. The Lord doesn't smack Abram down. 
He, that's what we do, right? Like, what's wrong with you? Come on. God doesn't do that. He's patient. And instead of saying, Abraham, you should just believe me. Why don't you trust me? He gives him another promise. He says, Abraham, this is not going to be your heir. This is not how I'm going to do this. And then he gives him this assurance. He brings him forth abroad and said, look now toward heaven. And tell the stars. Can you number them? Can you imagine? Zero light pollution in the desert sky. Pitch black except for maybe a few crackling campfires and torches in the tents. Just Abram and God in the blackness of the night. God says in a quiet voice to Abram, look up. How many stars do you see? You can't number them. So shall thy seed be. So shall thy seed be. And Abram looks around and looks maybe looks back at the tents and there aren't many people there. You can count them pretty easily. But God gives him a promise. God gives him assurance that, Abram, I am going to fulfill my promise. It's something supernatural. It's something that only I can do. It is the, as the scripture says, it is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. So shall thy seed be. And in that quiet, dark moment, verse number six says that Abram believed in the Lord. Abram believed the promise of God. We don't have this statement up until now. We don't know if this is the first time or not. But Abram believed unto the Lord. Believed in the Lord. And when God saw the faith in Abraham, he said that right there counts for righteousness. Abraham didn't have a lot of righteousness on his own. Made a lot of mistakes. But he had a little bit of faith. He didn't even have that great of faith. He didn't have the most faith. He had doubts. But he believed that God would do it. He believed that God could do the impossible. And when God saw that faith, he said that faith is just as good as what? Righteousness. And do you know why, folks, that that is incredibly good news? Because we don't have much righteousness. We don't have much righteousness at all. Empty-handed. Nothing to bring. But God says, even though you are entirely deficient of righteousness, if you will have faith, it will count for righteousness. And in the book of Romans, as Paul says over and over again, not by works of the law, not by what you do, not by human effort. In fact, Paul says, remember what it says about Abraham. 
that Abraham believed in the Lord and it was counted for righteousness. So the audience in Romans would say, yeah, you're right, it's not because I'm Jewish. It's not because I'm good. It's not because of anything that I have done. I come to be justified, to be made right before God entirely by faith alone. And that, my friends, is the best news this world could ever hear. The greatest news you could ever hear. So we come away with this. Believer, you and I, as we've already said, has, we have no righteousness of our own. Only the righteous. So, so what about the good things that you do now as a Christian? Where do they come from? They come from Him. And this is another biblical... Not only does our faith count for righteousness, but our faith gives us the righteousness of Christ. Do you know what happens? As soon as you and I forget that, well, I forget that sometimes. Do you sometimes forget that if this is only accomplished by Jesus? You forget that sometimes? And there's this strange thing that happens. The more self-righteous we become, the more unrighteous our lives start to look. Because everything that is accomplished in our lives is by faith in Christ alone. And that is why you say, Ethan, I've been saved for 20 years. Why are we taking all this time to talk about justification by faith? What, what's the point? I can understand for a new believer or somebody that's not saved. No, it is we Christians who need the gospel preached to ourselves over and over and over again because we, we fall back into that trap of self-sufficiency, self-accomplishment, and the opposite of what we think hap is going to happen happens. The more we try to live in our own righteousness, you watch what happens. Your heart will grow colder and colder toward God. Because without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Possible. So Christian, you get back. we need to get back to that point where we say, no, I'm a child of Abraham. I'm one of his sons. I'm one of his daughters. I live by faith not by works righteousness. That's, a, that's an application for the believer, but there may be somebody here this morning or somebody watching this message, and you're not sure that you really are a believer in Christ. You might believe some things about Jesus. You may have heard the name Jesus. But are you certain? Are you certain that your sins have been forgiven? Are you certain that your faith has been counted for righteousness? Many people, they go through great lengths in their life to prove their worthiness to God. They'll do good things. They'll, they'll read books. They'll pray prayers. They'll do all kinds of human performances to prove, God, look, righteousness, righteousness. See it? See the goodness? See the goodness? See the righteousness? When all that God is looking for is faith. God doesn't want to see what you and I have to offer. He's looking for a person that will say, I am an unworthy sinner, but I believe in Jesus Christ. Has there been a moment in your life when that has happened? If you say, Ethan, I, I, maybe, I, I'm not sure, I think so. If there's any doubt in your mind, would you make today, would you make this morning the time where you get that assurance? You say, you know what? If I've been uncertain up until now, today, Jesus, today, it's faith. My faith is in you. I trust you as my Savior and you alone. Would you do that right now?
in your heart, just tell Jesus, say, yes, Lord, you died for me. You rose from the dead. I believe in you alone. If you will do that, God will look down and say, that counts for righteousness. That's the promise of the good news. Could we please bow our heads and close our eyes for a few minutes? I'd like us to just have a quiet time of prayer as we conclude the service. This is a moment for any who may not be sure. If you're not sure that you've made that decision, this quiet moment is a chance for you to do that. Speak to the Lord right now as we just did. Lord, I, I am a sinner. I can't save myself, but I believe in Jesus. I put my faith in Christ right now. Would you do that right now? Right now, in the room or at home, wherever you are, put your faith in Christ right now. Christian, would you just take a minute, a minute of quiet prayer, just thank God for your justification. Walk in that faith, not by works, but by faith. Let's all have a time of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the message that we heard this morning. God, we thank you for the fact that it's our faith that you count for righteousness, not the amount of our faith, but who it's placed on. Father, we pray if someone in here does not know you as their Savior, that today would be the day that they would believe in you. They would make that decision this morning. For those of us who do know you, Lord, we pray that we'd be challenged, Lord, to live a life of faith and to remember that it's our faith in you that counts for righteousness. In Jesus' name. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you saw questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.